Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Oh, hey there, friend. Welcome back to Casa de Blood. I'd like to wish you all a happy Hispanic Heritage Month. I don't know why it starts in the middle of the month like this, but I think it has something to do with the whole siesta thing. In any case, it's taco time. And save your receipts, because they're tax deductible this month. That's a fact. I got you, Chester. Five soft, five crunchy. Diablo sauce, right? But let me do this episode first. He can really put them away, that kid. God damn, nothing gets me more excited than taco time, let me tell you. Mm. All right. Well, tonight we've got two tales from author P.D. Williams, whom you might remember from on this season's episodes three and five, and we're happy to have him back. Fuck. <sighs> anyway, smoke them if you've got them and drink those glasses to the bottom, y'all, because old Drew Blood has a taco to eat. A tale to tell. But first, the pinche cabron pendejo. I mean, the rigmarole. Sorry, y'all. I'm just really into taco time. What can I say? I'm a Texan. Hey, you're listening to the standard edition of this program. To get instant access to ad-free versions of all our episodes and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu. Sign up today. It's a great way to show your support, and you'll get a whole lot for it. And authors, send your scary stories to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If you're selected, you'll get that full treatment. Shit. Okay, in this first story, we join Peter, who just got up on the wrong side of the bed. Happens to the best of us. So, without further delay, from author P.D. Williams, I give you... The Wooden Box. Peter, oh Peter, it's time to wake up, sleepyhead. The quiet voice drifted through the blackness of the small enclosure, like a fall leaf looking for a place to land. Peter lay sprawled across a concrete floor. His eyelids fluttered as the sing-songy voice pulled him back to consciousness. With great effort, he pushed up until he was leaning on one elbow. He was surrounded by nothingness. 
The pain in his head was sharp and intense, like someone was trying to break out of his skull with a jackhammer. What? What's going on? He asked, his speech slurred. He was woozy and confused, as if he had been drugged. He vaguely remembered walking to his car after work. Something covered his face. A rag? It had a strong medicinal smell. And then, what? Gentle, upbeat music began to fill the lightless room. It had a bouncy rhythm, a childlike quality. A brief intro was followed by a chorus of small children singing gleefully. Good morning, good morning. Let's all get up and sing. Shake those webs out of your head and dance and play and sing. Oh, good morning, good morning. It's time to move along with a do-dilly-dee and a do-dilly-doo. It's our good morning song. The tune ended with an abrupt thump. Peter continued to lean against the floor. What was that? Are there children here? Well, look who's finally up. Welcome, Peter. The voice was not insistent or urgent. It nudged rather than pushed. Please, take a few moments to acclimate yourself. Peter heaved himself up to a crooked sitting position. He had no sense of time or location. The lack of light clouded his perception. His head swayed as he attempted to make out his surroundings, but his eyes proved useless. As he continued to pull in deep breaths of air, he gradually became more lucid. When his situation became clear to him, Peter hyperventilated. His intense fear of the dark seized control of his mind and body. He was cloaked in impenetrable darkness. His terrified mind drew vivid pictures of phantom tendrils reaching out for him. They pulled him down into a pit with a withered ghoul whose hands could reach out at any time and drag its cracked fingernails down his naked arm. His neck muscles stiffened and tingled as he thought of the thing's hot putrid breath caressing his neck, lingering there like a sticky web. His instinctive need to escape overwhelmed him to the point of incoherence. He hoped it was all a nightmare, something that would evaporate once the lights came on. But he knew this was real. It was happening. He could feel the unforgiven floor beneath his quivering body. He managed to stand upright, nearly slipping. White dots danced before his eyes and sickness churned in his belly. Despite his alarm, he did not shout for help. That's the thing about the dark. I could be anywhere. Am I alone? Is there someone in here with me? He thought of addressing the unsettling voice, but he also wondered what he might draw forth from the inky expanse. He felt caught between needing to know what was happening and fearing the answer. As if divining Peter's concerns, the floating voice again penetrated the void. Hello again, Peter. Now that you've had ample time to adjust, tell me, are you scared? Do you find yourself alone in the shadows, or are others standing near you? 
I can hear your frantic breathing. I can feel your heartbeat through the walls. Would you care to know where you are? Or are you afraid to be told that you've died and fallen into the deepest hole in hell? Maybe you're wondering if this is a place from which you can escape or hopefully be rescued. Talk to me, Peter. Your questions pose no danger to you. Where am I? Not as far away as your imagination and distress might be telling you. In fact, you're within ten miles of your office. And you might be relieved to learn that you're not in some large abandoned warehouse. The room you're in only measures 14 by 10. Probably the size of your bedroom. This is a place that you likely drive by every day on your way to work and never take notice of it. Probably no one else does either. Why am I here? Why have I been kidnapped? Why not you, Peter? Is your life any more or less important than someone else's? But I haven't done anything. What are you going to do to me? I'm going to offer you an opportunity to free yourself. How? How am I going to free myself? With something small yet important. With something necessary for your survival. Such as? A key. Well, not so much a key as the key. Key to what? Isn't it obvious? The key to the door. You do want to get out, don't you? And no, I won't track you down or harm you in any way. Your escape comes with no consequences. All you have to do is move around the room and find that key. It shouldn't be too difficult. The room is empty. Now, Keep in mind, it could be anywhere. It might be hanging on a wall, dangling from the ceiling, or lying on the floor. Who knows? Once you find it, all you have to do is feel your way to the door, unlock it, and step out into the glorious sunlight. Peter restrained his optimism. There had to be a catch. There was always a catch. You're leaving something out, aren't you? There's something you want. Tell me what's in this for you. You got me, Peter. It doesn't mean much if it's not challenging. It's okay, though. You're going to do fine. Just tell me what I have to do. With you is a small wooden box. Feel around the floor and let me know when you find it. And if I refuse? Then my efforts to lead you toward a solution to your dire circumstances will be moot. The threat was clear, so he stooped and began groping around. His fingertips pushed against something hard. Peter felt the rectangular object, determined that it was the hidden box and picked it up. Okay, I found it, he said. That's very good, Peter. You're one step closer to home. 
Now then, you fill a lid on top of the box. Lay the box back down on the floor and remove it. Then stand up quickly and take a few steps back. Peter complied. He heard a faint scraping noise and something light hitting the floor. Two more of the puzzling sounds followed. Then he detected some faint scuttling. Soon after, something crawled over his shoe. He gasped, lifted his foot, and propelled whatever it was across the room. What was in that box? Peter, listen to me carefully. In the room with you, are three sizable and highly venomous black fat-tailed scorpions. In the Middle East and parts of Africa, they are known as man-killer. Peter, you have to be careful here. They're nocturnal, so they thrive in the dark. They are capable of climbing rough walls, such as the brick ones in your room. They can crawl across the ceiling and drop down on you. Like all good hunters, they hide and wait patiently for their prey to wander along. As you search for the key, you'll want to tread lightly. They can sense vibrations. They're venomous fast acting. Without prompt medical care, you won't survive. The immediate symptoms from being stung are swift, painful, and horrific. Do you understand what I've just told you? Peter stood petrified and mute. Peter, do you understand? Yes, he creaked. Marvelous. It's now officially you against the scorpions. I hope you crush it. I mean that literally and figuratively. I'll be watching all the action via an infrared camera. How do I know you won't kill me anyway? I said I wouldn't, but I've never had to think about it before. No one has escaped yet. For now, you're the next contestant. Good luck, Peter. Wait! Just let me out of here. I haven't seen you. I can pull together some money. Okay, not a lot, but enough to make it worth your while. Silence. Hey, come on. Don't just leave me here. Please. Please. Silence. Peter exhaled. His teeth chattered and his body trembled. Lightless room. Poisonous scorpions. And a blind search for a small key. (laughs) What could go wrong? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. 
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. His first idea was to try his cell phone, but his pocket's lightness indicated it was missing. Then he considered the door. He wondered if it could somehow be forced open. Peter suspected that pounding on it and yelling for help wasn't going to do him any good. Lord only knew where he was. Okay, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. He stuck his arms out into the windowless room and took a step forward. Despite trying to remain poised, he felt fear, like a frigid river rushing through his veins. His unhelpful mind began conjuring images of dog-sized monstrosities swirling about the room, ready to snare him with oversized pinchers and squeeze him until he was sliced in two. He shuddered as he imagined the excruciating gouge of a gigantic barbed stinger that would pump gallon after gallon of searing poison into his cracking frame. Knock it off. We don't have time for this now. Just focus on that stupid key so we can get out of here. Once Peter got himself marginally in check, he began moving again. He walked until he came to a wall and then felt his way along until he reached a steel door. It was heavy and dense, like the type used for extra security. Tracing the frame, he discovered the knob and twisted it. Because it moved freely, Peter reasoned that it wasn't the knob securing the door but some other kind of locking mechanism. He examined further and came across the bulge of a double deadbolt lock. Now he knew what he was dealing with. The key would have to be. He couldn't see the room and its contents, so that was an obvious disadvantage. But he remembered hearing that the brain could compensate for a lost sense by enhancing the other faculties. He hoped that his perceptions might be heightened enough to guide him past the scorpions into the key. His idea was to start with the floor, then gradually work his way upward. He followed the wall until he felt a corner. Then he got down on his hands and knees and started crawling, sliding his palms across the surface of the floor. Despite his resolve, his desire to find the key began to be hampered by his knowledge that somewhere around him lurked three large and deadly scorpions. Scorpions? What did I ever do to deserve this? He wandered around for several minutes, then halted when his hand collided with something small and firm. He got to his feet. Oh, crap! He immediately began stomping around the floor. He heard the unmistakable crunch, followed by the sound of fast tapping, swiftly moving away from him. His body shook as the adrenaline ran its course. Once his nerves settled down, Peter lowered himself again and resumed his search. He glided his hands over the smooth surface of the floor, keeping in mind that the other scorpions could be scattered across it. He moved forward in a straight line. When he came to the wall, he made a U-turn. Crawling, unseeing, and defenseless, he kept anticipating the sharp sting. His stomach hurt. Once he convinced himself that he had successfully surveyed the entire room, Peter enjoyed a palpable sense of relief. He was about to switch his blind search to the walls when he remembered what the voice had warned. They're capable of climbing. 
Okay. Easy does it. He prepared himself for the fact that the walls were going to take longer because although he could sweep his hands widely over the floor, he would need to traverse the walls in tighter quadrants. Peter started at the lowest point and with trembling hands progressed upwards, then over and down again. As he moved down, his palms scraped over something with stiff hairs, and he leaped back. He heard the scorpion skittering across the bumpy bricks to his left. Peter knew that he needed to pin down the scorpion's exact location and remove it before he could safely proceed with the wall search. He took off his thin outer shirt, rolled it thickly around his right hand, formed a fist, then turned it so that it resembled a crude fleshy hammer. He systematically began pounding his fist one blow at a time against the bricks listening for movement. After a few hits, he felt a light tugging on the cloth. Next, there came a soft jabbing sensation against the outside of the covering. He continued smashing his padded hand against the wall, hoping the scorpion wouldn't climb over the protective barrier and stab him. Peter's heart was thumping like a 1980s techno beat. He could imagine the creature's fiery needle. He was more disgusted than satisfied when he finally heard the loud crack of his exoskeleton and felt warm fluid spurt onto his exposed wrist. <sighs> he moaned as he wiped away the crushed remains of the scorpion before tossing the shirt aside. Okay, that's two. Peter finished going over the last remaining wall space. He found no trace of the key or its dangerous guardian. So he turned his attention to the ceiling, from where he hoped to find the key suspended from a string. Despite having dispatched two-thirds of the obstacles between him and possible release, Peter was still unnerved. He felt like an inmate sentenced to execution, time and manner of death unknown. But his terror of the dark was considerably greater than his fear of the deadly hunter maneuvering around him, waiting to pounce. His muscles locked, and his staccato breathing was like the desperate pant of a trapped animal. His mind vacillated between breaking out of the black awful cage and the suffocating horror clinging to him like a blood-soaked shroud. Oh God, is the dark getting thicker? I can't breathe! Peter's chest hitched as he pulled in short gasps of dank air. He used the breathing technique that his psychiatrist had taught him some years back. Breathe in and hold it for three, two, one. Exhale slowly. He repeated the mantra until it had the desired effect. Once he regained a measure of composure, he turned his thoughts back to the key. He began working through logical scenarios. He didn't yet know where the key was, but he now knew where it wasn't. He also knew that the third scorpion hadn't been on the floor or walls, at least not the wall he had just beaten to a pulp, so it could be somewhere above him, along with the key. He held out hope that he had startled it enough to send it fleeing back down to the floor or wall, rather than remaining on the ceiling waiting for its quarry to wander by. So where are you, you little monster? As he began advancing, he lifted his arms over his head and made a forward paddling motion with his hands, hoping to graze the hanging key. After a while, 
He detected some quiet clacking, but the harsh acoustics of the empty room made the sound little more than a soft echo, making it difficult for Peter to establish the scorpion's whereabouts. He shivered at the thought of the hellish creature scurrying up his leg at any second. He paused and lowered his arms. He felt the need to think things through before proceeding. I can stay still and pray like crazy that help arrives, or I can go for the surer thing and keep looking for the key, assuming there even is one. Peter wondered if anybody had noticed yet that he was missing. He had no idea how long his abductor had imprisoned him. So why, when, or where would the search for him begin and end? His only tangible hope was to find the key. Peter raised his hands high again and resumed searching the room step by agonizing step. To maintain as straight a line as possible, he walked heel to toe until he reached the room's end. He continued to listen for the final attacker. Please God, I can't take this much longer. On the one hand, he was discouraged by not yet having found the key. On the other, he was reassured by the fact that the waiting scorpion hadn't speared him. He was also becoming impatient. He wanted out now. He picked up the pace and swung his hands out further in front of him. After a couple more wide passes, he bumped into a wall and kicked it in frustration. Peter sensed no air movement, just the raw feeling of something dropping down onto his head. He shrieked as he felt the scorpion scratching its way across his scalp. In a frenzy, he raked his fingers through his hair, working to dislodge it before it had a chance to strike. When his right hand finger swept underneath the enraged arachnid, it gave his index finger a painful squeeze. Peter yelped and snapped his hand backward, sending the scorpion tumbling down the back of his undershirt. Its tiny leg bristles scraped against his goosebump dotted skin as it slid slowly down his bare back. At first, its sting felt like little more than a slight needle prick, but as the sight of the jab began to burn with increasing intensity, Peter knew the worst had happened. His heart thumped furiously inside his chest as a primal instinct overtook him, throwing him into a mad fit of desperation. Hoping to kill the scorpion, he ran backward until he collided with one of the walls. He screamed as agonizing pain shot through his swelling back like a white-hot electrical current. Peter groaned in anguish when he felt the sinister thing's spider-like body squirming around at the bottom of his shirt. His effort had failed. He grimaced and arched his back as the unharmed scorpion clawed its way upward toward the shirt's entry point digging its dagger feet in along the way and slamming its finger against his tender flesh repeatedly like endless injections of boiling acid. Feeling his strength waning, Peter hurled himself backward one last time. His nearly limp body crashed heavily against the rigid wall, causing the foul creature's soupy guts to explode through its shattered armor and onto his tortured skin. Then his legs gave way and he dropped to the floor in a paralyzed heap. He was sweating profusely, spit oozing from his mouth like clear syrup. Help, he whimpered. Please help me. He heard the turning of the deadbolt. The door opened and a vague outline of a person filled the bright opening. 
Peter's eyelids began to droop. His vision blurred, making it impossible to make out the figure that had entered the room and was now stooping beside him. Oh, Peter. Oh, my goodness. The voice was serene and soothing. Oh, no, you might find this hard to believe, but I truly did want you to figure this out. I'm getting bored with the same old outcome. Why do people have to make everything so complicated? The answer's always the simplest. That's sad, don't you think, Peter? Isn't that sad? Peter was finding it harder to breathe. The waves of nausea were getting stronger. Tears flowed from his eyes in a salty torrent. He didn't want to end up like this. A crumpled corpse on a filthy floor whose body would never be found by anyone. This is going to kill mom and dad. Honestly, Peter, I would have allowed you to walk away. As you observed earlier, you never saw me, and I can always relocate. But here you are. The paralysis has already overtaken you. First your limbs, then your lungs, and then other vital organs. But the good news is the overall pain will lessen to a dull throb. Your heartbeat will slow down, and breathing will become much more difficult. You've got maybe a couple of hours or so, and then your soul, at least, will be free. If there's anything you want to say, you'll need to say it now, while you can still talk. Where... Where's... Key? I have to know. Please. Was it... Sealing? Well... After everything you've been through, the least I can do is show you the answer. It's most logical and straightforward. Whenever something goes missing, most people tend to look all over their house for it. They turn the whole place inside out. And like them, all of you waste so much time trying to be resourceful that it never occurs to you to begin by searching the one place people eventually find most lost items. The man reached into Peter's front pants pocket and removed a key. That was The Wooden Box by author P.D. Williams, a good reminder never to overlook the obvious, and also not to mess around with scorpions if you can avoid it. I got stung on the nose once and had to walk around looking like W.C. Fields for a while. Glad it wasn't one of those man-killers. Okay, so in this second tale, we join a young couple for dinner with the gal's parents. Well, that's never too awkward, right? So here's a little rom-com, PD style. Without further delay, I give you, you never can tell. 
Okay, he's here, Sarah said through breaths of excitement. Please, everyone, be on your best behavior. Sarah, relax, said her father, Bill. He isn't the first boy you've brought home. Everything will be fine. Yes, sweetie, said Connie, her doting mother. Tonight will go smoothly, we promise. Right, Bill? I'm not making any promises yet. Oh, Bill, don't make this uncomfortable for Sarah. The doorbell repeated. Okay, here goes, Sarah said. She took a deep breath, straightened her necklace, and opened the door. You made it, she said to Mark, her new boyfriend. Sorry I'm a little late, but I missed a turnoff to get to your house. When you said you guys lived a little off the beaten path, you weren't kidding. Sarah had met Mark at a high school church retreat two weeks prior. She'd noticed him watching her during the daily activities, but was too shy to return his gaze. After keeping his distance for a couple of days, Mark approached her. Whereas Sarah was quiet and timid, he was friendly and confident. It wasn't long before an awkward first conversation grew into taking long walks after meals. By the end of the retreat, it was as if they could read each other's minds. He learned about her favorite bands and authors, and she about his favorite sports and hobbies. It surprised Sarah that she had found another companion so soon after her last relationship. It hadn't ended well. Come on in, Sarah said. My parents can't wait to meet you. Bill and Connie had stationed themselves in their tasteful and immaculate den. An oil painting of Jesus, who looked more like a hippie from the 60s than a laborer from the Middle East, adorned the mantle. The hopeful smiles beaming from their cheerful faces were matched only by the sheen from the clear plastic furniture covers that kept a healthy distance between the upholstery and other people's grime. You ready for this? Connie whispered to Bill. Sounds like Sarah isn't the only one who's anxious about tonight. Footsteps drew closer. Okay, showtime. Sarah clasped Mark's hand and walked into the den. Clearing her throat, she announced, Mom, Dad, this is Mark. Mark gave a sheepish smile. Uh, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Blaine. Thank you for having me over tonight. Bill extended his hand to Mark, who shook it firmly. Hello, son. When Sarah told us about you, the missus and I said to each other, We have got to meet this boy. Please, come on over and have a seat. We'd love to hear more about you. Thanks. I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys, too. To be honest, Sarah hasn't told me much about you. The admission embarrassed Sarah. That's why I invited you over, Goofy, so you can meet them. Let's sit on the couch. After everyone was comfortable, Bill said, So, Sarah tells me you both attend the same high school, that right? Yes, sir. We've likely crossed paths in the hallway at least a hundred times and never noticed each other. I'm glad we finally got to meet. Sarah looked into Mark's eyes, a subtle smile tugging at the corners of her mouth. Me too. She gushed. So, where do you go to church, Mark? Asked Connie. Grace Community Church on Broughton Street. It's not a big congregation, so we're pretty close-knit. Bill chimed in. I guess Sarah told you we're members of Holiness Pentecostal? You passed a little white building a couple miles back up the road. Nothing fancy. We're pretty close-knit ourselves. Tell me, what do your parents do for a living? Mom works from home. My dad runs a meatpacking plant. Oh, really? 
Which one? Hollis Meats off Interstate 40. Oh, yeah. I've driven past it on my way to the shop. How's business been? Not too good. Everybody's feeling the pinch these days. Meat's been hard to come by. Expensive, too. May I ask what you two do? Same as your folks, more or less, Connie replied. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and Bill here is the best darn taxidermist in these parts. Bill chuckled. Oh, now, Mama, don't go bragging on me. You'll embarrass all of us. Well, young man, Connie said, I hope you like veggie lasagna and garlic bread. I made plenty. You don't need to ring that dinner bell twice, boomed Bill. As they traveled to the dining room, Mark inhaled the pleasant aroma wafting from the kitchen, a combination of cheese and herbs. That sure smells good, Mrs. Blaine. We don't eat a lot of vegetarian dishes at my house. We're more the meat and potatoes type. Dad thinks because he's in the meat business, we ought to eat it all the time. Sarah caressed Mark's shoulder. Nothing wrong with that. It's great to fill up on protein. Keeps you lean. At the dining room table, Mark pulled Sarah's chair out for her before taking his place. Take note, Bill, Connie said. That's how a gentleman treats a lady. Duly noted, sweetheart. How's about I play a little footsie with you under the table instead? Sarah moaned in embarrassment. How's about the two of you knock it off? Mark doesn't know you well enough to tell when you're joking. As your father said, Connie answered. Duly noted. Then to Sarah's momentary relief, she changed the subject. Mark, would you care to lead us in prayer? Sarah blushed. Mom, please, don't put him on the spot like that. Oh, it's okay, Mark said. I'd be honored. Everyone closed their eyes and bowed their heads. Dear Lord, we thank Thee for the bounty put before us, so that we might use it in accordance with Thy perfect will and for Thy glory. Amen. Amen, Amen, added the others. Don't be shy about digging in, Mark, Bill said. As we like to say around here, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Connie snickered. Sarah did not. Oh, Daddy, no one finds that funny. I think a little levity mixed with faith is a good thing, don't you, Mark? Connie said. Of course. As St. Teresa of Avila said, Lord, save us from gloomy saints. Here, here, Bill bellowed. <laughs> Connie shot her husband a glare of disapproval. Now that we have all Bill's silliness out of the way, let's talk about you some more. What are your plans after high school? Mark chewed his lasagna and considered the question. Dad's pretty adamant that I follow him in the meatpacking business. I figure I could make a better living learning a trade than I could from a degree in gender studies or Elizabethan poetry. Oh, I don't know, Connie said. I think there's something to be said about expanding one's intellectual horizons. But I understand what you're saying. It's important to help carry on family traditions, as long as it doesn't hold you back from realizing your dreams. Are you and Sarah in the same grade? You look a little older than 16. Sarah's a year behind me. I'll be graduating in June. That's exciting. I guess Sarah has a thing for older men. A couple of former boyfriends were older, but not by much. Have you ever seen a dead body up close before? Mark was the only one to stop eating. Excuse me, ma'am? Connie took a sip of her tea. I asked if you've ever seen a dead body up close before, dear. 
Mark put his fork down and looked at everyone. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Do you mean a human corpse? Sarah giggled. (laughs) Well, of course, Goofy. What other kind do you think? Mark's stomach was turning, his vision blurring. Are you okay, son? Bill asked. Mark was swooning. Is there something... Something in my food? Sarah giggled again. (laughs) Honestly, Goofy, we put it in your tea. It would have made the lasagna taste horrible. It's true. Connie agreed. Do you remember that time we put it in... Oh, what was his name? Barry, Bill said. I think it was Barry. Sarah nibbled her garlic bread. You're both wrong. His name was Gary. Oh, that's it, Connie said. We put it in Gary's meatloaf. That was disgusting. Bill grimaced at the recollection. Threw up all over the table. Gross. Mark panicked. (laughs) I I need to... (laughs) Need to... (laughs) Oh, use your words, Mark. Sarah said with an air of impatience. You need to what? Leave? Just say leave already. God, you've become annoying. And when are you going to pass out? Mom, are you sure you put enough sulpidem in his tea? Bill, too, had become impatient. Oh, for pity's sake. He got up, went into the kitchen, and grabbed the skillet. Upon returning, he knocked Mark out with a blow to the back of his head. Timber! Bill yelled. Mark's eyes rolled back and he fell forward, landing the perfect face plan on his plate of warm, cheesy lasagna. Mark stirred a while later. He squinted and saw three gauzy figures standing near him. His mouth was dry, as if he had been sucking on cotton balls. He lacked the strength to lift his throbbing head. There was a chair underneath him. He tried to move, but something was holding him against it. A rope? Oh, look. I think he's coming around. A female said. Someone lifted his chin. Yep, he's rejoining us, said a man. Spread the tarp while I prepare the instruments. Mark heard a whooshing sound and felt a breeze as if something flittered in front of him. Somewhere, metal tinkled on metal. Other people were in the room, but their images were hazy. His vision cleared, and he could feel his body again. His bleary eyes washed over the semi-dark room comprising of cinder block walls. The air was damp and stuffy, the floor hard like concrete. Was he in the basement? What's going on? He slurred. Maybe we should start killing them outright, suggested Sarah. Hey, you're the one who likes to hear them scream, Connie reminded her. Why else do you think we bought this place out here in the boonies? I figured it was to hide the cars. That was the practical part of the decision, dear. But we also considered how much we like to see you happy. Sarah's face lit up with joy. Oh, you guys. A chill rushed through Mark as he realized his dilemma. What are you going to do? Sarah, for God's sake, what's happening? He got his answer when he noticed they had decorated the room with stuffed corpses of young men. They had posed one of them smiling and waving, his fake glass eyes a chilling black. 
Another had his hands positioned on his hips, peering upward. He looked like Superman standing proudly before the American flag. They had arranged a few other taxidermied bodies in similar states of leisure and nobility. Mark's bounding pulse throbbed in his neck. Oh my god, is this a kill room? You betcha, said Bill. As you know, I'm a taxidermist. A taxidermist with a big difference, Connie added. <laughs> the three of them laughed at the odd and humorous remark. You people are soulless psychopaths, Mark shouted. Well, when you say it like that, Connie sniffed. Who wouldn't think so, Mr. Smarty Britches? Okay, so Mark, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to hook you up to an IV of my special blend of muscle relaxant and formaldehyde. Your heart's going to be going a mile a minute, pumping the fluid through your system. That's another reason we want to keep you awake. Once you're ready, I'll cut you loose and lay you on the tarp. The next step involves removing your insides and flaying your arms, legs, and neck. Then I'll take this stiff wire and, well, you'll figure it out soon enough. No, please don't. Sarah, do something. Oh, don't be such a crybaby. It seems as if all you boys want to do is sniffle and beg like hungry puppies. She stepped into the outstretched arms of one of the dead boys and hugged him. His eyes were sealed, his lips forever pursed for a kiss. Sarah lifted her face and pressed her lips to his, smearing her tongue all over his waxy mouth. Then she turned and winked at Mark. Jealous? She snickered. Mark turned his head from the gruesome act and retched. <laughs> you won't get away with this. I told my parents where I was going. Oh, please. Connie sneered. I can search this entire property looking for a lost item, but if someone's done a clever enough job of hiding it from me, I'll never find it. Just ask one of these boys. Mark's eyes widened with horror. His voice quivered with fear. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to happen like this. Bill pushed a metal IV pole toward him, a clear bag of soupy white liquid dangling from its hook. He stroked Mark's hair. Oh, son, how else would it have gone down? Using his legs, Mark lifted his chair and sprang at Bill, clamping his teeth around his nose. He held on to it like a hungry crocodile, twisting his head back and forth, causing the cartilage to tear and bleed. Bill released a high-pitched howl when Mark ripped the mangled nose from his face. Blinded by thick, squirting blood, he staggered backward and crashed into a small portable table, sending a metal tray lined with surgical instruments clattering to the floor. The horrific sights and sounds of the brutal assault immobilized Connie and Sarah. Mark exploited his brief opportunity to escape. Standing as fully as he could, he used his body weight to smash the chair against the wall behind him. He twisted free of the ropes and grabbed a large knife from the floor. Then he charged Bill, slashing his throat so deeply that his head flopped backwards on his neck, making him look like an open can of gore. Mark turned to Connie and Sarah, both still stunned and frozen. Connie looked at the sharp, bloody knife and trembled. Now, dear, take it easy. There's no need for more violence. You can lock us down here and go call the police. 
We won't put up a fuss, will we, sweetie? No, no, Sarah stuttered. Remember what you said, honey? It wasn't supposed to happen like this. Isn't that what you said? Well, it doesn't have to happen this way either. Mark's body relaxed as he lowered the knife. His face was expressionless, his eyes devoid of pity. You're right. That's what I said, honey. But I think you misunderstood my meaning. He lifted the knife and stabbed Connie in her stomach several times, twisting and pulling with each rapid plunge. Connie looked surprised and confused as she watched her contents spill out and slide down her legs. Well, I'll be damned, she chirped. Then she fell forward, her eviscerated body making an audible squish as it hit the concrete floor. A crimson pool spread out from underneath her, encircling her hollow frame. Sarah shook as a wet spot grew on the crotch of her pants. She whimpered in terror as she began backing away. Mark, please. You don't have to do this. No, I don't. But there's a lot of guys out there who will be glad I did. He grabbed Sarah's arm and yanked her onto the tarp. She struggled against him while he held her in place and stabbed her eye, producing painful ear-splitting shrieks. When he withdrew the knife, pink goop oozed from the open socket like cascading jelly. Then he drove the weapon deep into her remaining eye. Sarah convulsed as she gulped in the coppery air. Mark delivered the final death blow by slamming the blade hard into her mouth, shattering her front teeth. The thin strip of razor-sharp steel slid over the surface of her tongue, slicing a thin path to the back of her throat. Its eager tip came to a grinding halt when it broke through the back of her skull, producing a soft, wet crack. Sarah's limp arms twitched, and her legs gave way. Mark held onto the knife's handle with one hand and lowered her mutilated corpse with the other one. He looked around at the carnage, as well as his blood-soaked clothes and body. It's gonna take forever to scrub this mess off, he sighed. Then he reached into his front pants pocket and retrieved the cell phone. He speed-dialed a number and the man picked up. How'd it go? The voice asked. I won't lie to you, Dad. This one didn't go as planned. You won't believe the freaks these people turned out to be. They killed teenage boys and would stuff them like dead animals. Seriously? Oh yeah, you should see their collection. I thought you did your homework on this girl. You said you watched her at school. Didn't you learn anything when I had you follow her at the church retreat? It's like I told you, she's a loner that nobody notices. She's part of a small church-going family. You know, meek little lambs. Her parents are middle-aged, so they shouldn't have put up too much of a fight. Seemed like another easy kill, but I guess you never can tell what folks are hiding. Especially the religious ones. Am I right? Yeah, especially the religious ones. <laughs> the two of them laughed long and loud at the obvious irony. Getting back to business, Mark said, The bodies are in the basement. You and Polly can pull around back with the refrigerated truck. I'll unlock the door. How big is the mess? I don't want to be there all night with bleach and rags. Actually, they were kind enough to provide us with some plastic tarp. It's neat as a pin down here. Well, okay then. We'll be there in about 30 minutes. 
You know, son, this wicked economy had me worried. Thankfully, God has rewarded our faith and trust. We should be grateful for this divine provision of fresh meat. Amen, Mark said. And that was You Never Can Tell by author P.D. Williams. A good reminder that when it comes down to it, we're all on the hunt for something. Also, if your girlfriend looks well-fed and has stuffed men around the house, well, you should probably do your hunting elsewhere. A little about the author. Besides being an author of short horror fiction, P.D. Williams is a composer, multi-instrumentalist, and all-around man about town. His stories have been featured on nationally syndicated podcasts as well as in short horror fiction publications worldwide. As an artist of the people, he prides himself on being the type of author who never shamelessly promotes his works. P.D. lives in the great state of North Carolina with his wife, pdwilliamsauthor.com. They have two wonderful children, an amazing son, pdwilliamsauthor.com, and a beautiful daughter, pdwilliamsauthor.com. Their adorable puppy named pdwilliamsauthor.com joins them there. He gives thanks for all of his loyal supporters, nubile groupies, and unfettered capitalism. He would also like to thank Carolina Panthers head coach Matt Rule for growing a brain, a backbone, and a bigger set of balls this season. Go Panthers! That, of course, was P.D.'s words, and he'll never know how much it took for me to actually say, Go Panthers! <laughs> Thanks for the two awesome tales, P.D., and if you run out of room for nubile groupies, just point them my way. Remember, Drew Blood is here to help. And while you're at it, please remember to stop by our Apple Podcast page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and subscribe. The charts are based on subscriptions, not listens, by the way. So feel free to accidentally subscribe as many times as you want. I won't tell anyone, I promise. And if you feel like spreading the word and helping old Drew Blood out and convincing a friend or two to subscribe to my podcast, that would help me out greatly, and I'd really appreciate it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other podcast episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program and all our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there where you'll get all our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook and Instagram and sometimes Twitter. Sometimes. And remember, we're accepting submissions. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on this show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, friend. At least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, 
Or stick around for tacos, I don't mind, as long as you pitch in a little bit. I'd like to take the time to say hello to a few of our listeners. Karen Reed Cobley, Philip Kruger, and Andrew Kills. It's always great to meet listeners like y'all, and I really appreciate the comments and messages. Thank you, friends. So, Karen Reed Cobley, Philip Kruger, and Andrew Kill, and Tim Finley and Big John from Lester went for the hell of it. May the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. And remember, someone out there is planning to fuck you over. So before they can do it, well, you know what to do. <laughs> Good night, y'all. All right, Chester, let's get at them tacos. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.